Amen, amen. Please be seated. Praise God. Well, church family, uh, this morning we're beginning a brand new sermon series entitled Vintage Christmas. And we're going to be looking back at the Old, Old Testament scriptures and how they're, they're driving us towards the new. And so to kind of launch into this new sermon series called Vintage Christmas, we're going to be having some conversations with some of our more vintage staff members, okay? So Kevin, <laughs> as a vintage staff member, <laughs> a little muddy in the jar of air. <laughs> That's right. Kevin, share with us, um, what is your oldest, you got a little cup right there, what is your oldest Christmas memory? All right, so uh, we got to go way back uh, to the Sears and Roebuck catalog. <laughs> Y'all remember that one? Yeah. Well, uh, every year we get, that, we get that catalog, you know, and it's like this thick, and, and in that catalog, we got to choose whatever we wanted, and I, I remember this Christmas, I got my Superman outfit, yeah. Yeah. Had the had the cape, and it was uh, you know I'm you know vertically challenged, right? <laughs> so the cape, you know, it looked like a wedding gown. <laughs> it, would, it would flow back for for miles and miles. But I remember wearing it that Christmas and, and sweating because you know Christmas in Dixie is like eighty something degrees. <laughs> but uh, that I wore that thing to school, you know, for a week till my mom said, "No, you can't wear it anymore." <laughs> Never could fly. I don't know. Yeah, no, man. You don't still have it, though? It's No, uh, oh. I don't know what happened to it. I'm sure my mama got rid of it. Oh, you know? man. Well, if you ever want to wear it on a Sunday morning, man, you, you, well, you go for it. Me and Asa. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's it. He would love that. Oh, that'd be so good. Okay, well, um, what is your, what's your favorite Christmas memory? Well, it would have to be uh, after God uh, totally changed my heart. Um, I was called and asked to come to a place called Life Tech. And so this was a, a woman's facility of women who were, who were serving the last part of their sentence getting out of prison. And uh, they would come to this place and get acclimated back into society. And I, and, I, and I was getting ready to go, and God put it on my heart to take a bunch of CDs. Now, I didn't understand that because they're in prison. and They wouldn't be shopping, right? Right, so, right. But uh, I took them, and, um, and as the invitation was given and as I was leading the invitation and ladies were coming to the altar God placed it upon my heart so I want you to give these ladies a CD and uh, you know, it was Christmas time and uh, you know I, I I didn't question God just, you know they were his and, and as I was giving them out they would ask me if I would sign them for their children okay and I, I, it just dawned on me that um, you know mama's in jail it's Christmas, and this is going to be their present. Yeah. And I, it, just, it broke my heart, but it changed my life. And uh, I went home and told my wife, Connie, about it. And uh, we we got together uh, just tons and tons of toiletries and all kind of things that we could give to them. And we were invited back Christmas Eve to for a, a, a dinner they were having. And during that dinner, we were able to give out these bags full of toiletries to each person. We we couldn't get a count on how many were going to be there, and, and our daughter, Marky, went with us, and she was at the end of the line. I would give them a, a CD, and Connie would give them something, and Marky would hand them a bag, and we didn't know if we were going to run out or not, and uh, Marky had this panicked look like, oh, no, we're going to run out. You know, she kept looking at me and said, just keep giving them out, and, and sure enough, the last lady came through, the last bag was handed out, 
and it, it, I think it changed us all. It, yeah. it was, it taught me the blessing of giving. I, I, we left there thinking, I hope that they were as blessed as we were. Yeah. Because it was so good to be able to give. Yeah. And to those who really were desperate and had very little, and um, so hopefully it it, it uh, affected them as much as it did us. But yeah. I know God used it to change our lives and, Absolutely. and, and give us uh, perspective on giving. Yeah. And it's more blessed to give. There's no doubt about yeah, it. Yeah, blessed to give. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. Amen. So, well, so, so I got I got to throw something in there now. <laughs> I've got nothing. <laughs> I love it. Church family, can we thank the Lord for Kevin Derryberry? Amen. Thank you, buddy. Good stuff. Amen. You know, uh, one of my uh, favorite memories as a child growing up is spending summers at my grandparents' house. And they had a porch in Lexington that had a spring-loaded door so that every time the door opened, it would slam shut behind you. And I would, I would play with cars on the floor while they would tell stories. And they would listen to birds. And it was just a very rich uh, childhood for me. And I, later in life, my, my grandfather, he became blind. And so he taught himself how to do puzzles just by touch. And he worked himself up to doing 500-piece puzzles just through touch. It was amazing. But then he also taught himself Braille. And I remember as a kid, sitting on the AstroTurf floor of their porch and getting scraped up on my knees, and listening to my grandfather read a story to me from a book that had no words in it. You see, there's something in our culture that's missing right there. You and I, we're, we're being robbed from these front porch moments with family. We're, we need to spend more time on the porch and less time on the phone. You know what I'm saying? There's just this longing within us in which we want to go back. We need to go back. In fact, the prophet Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 6.16, this is what the Lord says. Stand by the roadways and look. Ask about the ancient paths. Which is the way to what is good? Then take it. Find rest for yourselves. You see, the Lord is continually calling his people to ask about ancient paths. We are to go to the roads that have been tried and traveled, and there we find wisdom and we find rest. Well, this Christmas season, we're going to be walking through this sermon series called Vintage Christmas, and we're going to be walking along these ancient paths. We're going to be walking down the roads of the Old Testament and see how they are pointing forward to a coming Savior. Well, let me show you. Grab your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. We're going to be setting up camp there in Genesis 12 this morning. And to kind of get context of leading up to this point, this is a significant portion of Scripture. We see in Genesis chapter 1, the creation of seven days in which God made all things. You get to Genesis 2 where God brings together Adam and Eve as the first couple for marriage. But then you get to Genesis chapter 3 and things go horribly wrong. Sin enters into the world through our first parents, and because of their disobedience to God's command, we not only have suffering and death, we have spiritual separation from God forever. It's not one chapter later that we get to Genesis 4, we see the first murder, where Cain kills Abel, and then it all goes downhill from there. And then chapters 5 through 10, we see that the world is so evil that God decides to hit the reset button. He floods the earth and saves one family and some animals through an ark. 
After the family comes off the ark, you get to Genesis chapter 11, and you see that the people are growing and multiplying, but evil is still present. They all gather together, and so instead of being fruitful and multiplying and scattering throughout the earth, they all come together and try and build a big, tall building all the way up to the sky at the Tower of Babel. God says that's not how it's designed, so God confuses the language. People are then scattered throughout the earth from that point forward. But then you get to Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, and you have a pivot point that takes place. Here we see that God chooses Abram as the one through which a blessing would come for all nations. God is looking to reverse the curse of Genesis 3, and so he inaugurates this through a man named Abram in Genesis chapter 12. Look with me at chapter 12, verse 1. Scripture says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Genesis 12 verses 1 through 3 is significant. Okay, this text is so noteworthy that it's repeated by three different authors in the New Testament. In Genesis 12, we see it pointing you and pointing me to the promise that God makes to us that is realized in Jesus Christ. Let me show you what this looks like for us this Christmas. This Christmas, number one, we are to obey the command to go. Verse one. The Lord said to Abram, go. The Lord, verse 1, calls Abram to leave his home country, to leave his family, and to go to a land that God will show him. And God is calling this man away from his relatives, away from all that is familiar, and calling him to go to a place that he has never been and this is far more than just a field trip. God is pulling back the curtain of the future to Abraham, and he's going to show him a land that is set aside for his descendants, a land that is flowing with milk and honey, a land of prosperity and favor, a land through which one would one day come forth to save the world. What we see within Abram is a willingness to obey the Lord. Verse 1, God commands him to go. So, verse 4, Abram went. You see, this decision was costly. It was dangerous, and yet he went. Now, this foreshadows an even greater obedience that would take place 2,000 years later. When the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son Jesus to be born. Motivated by love, Jesus, the eternal Son of God, left the glory of heaven and came to earth at a great cost on a dangerous mission. Never before had God taken on human flesh, and yet Jesus gladly came to earth to reconcile men back to God. You see, God never asks you to do something that he himself hasn't already done. So here we see God leading the way, showing us what missionary life looks like. So Jesus, the greatest missionary ever, inaugurated his going in a little town called Bethlehem. He went to the cross died for your sin, rose again on the third day, never to die again. 
This is the good news. This is the gospel. So now, just as God chose and called and commissioned Abram, we too have been called and chosen and commissioned by God to go. To go and make disciples of all nations. Westwood, our mission is to invest in people who will impact their world for Jesus. We are about the great commission of making disciples because we long for the world to know Jesus. We want to see the nations and our neighbors come to know Christ and experience his life-changing power that he provides through his great gospel. And so this Christmas, I want to call upon all of us to be going, to go and fulfill this call. Just as God called Abram to go, God is calling us to go. Yesterday, Christy made some Christmas cookies for our neighbors, and so it was our turn as the, as the boys to go and pass them out. So we got our big plate and our big stack of cookies, and we're about to go door-to-door in our neighborhood and start passing them out, and so I'm coaching my boys up. I said, all right, guys, when you go to the door, you say, Merry Christmas, and Jesus loves you, okay? That's what we're going to do. You with me? Sounds good, Dad. So we go to the first door, they knock on it, and they hand the cookies, and they said, see you later. And they walk away. Uh, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, come on, guys. Right? Okay, that's what going looks like, okay? Don't think you have to go and buy a big airplane ticket right now. That's going to cost a lot of money. It's right here, y'all. Your neighbors need Jesus. And so now, as those who have been found by Christ, those who have been called and commissioned, we are now to go and tell people about Jesus. So let me encourage you, this Christmas, be looking for opportunities to engage people. Oftentimes, we're so caught up in the hustle and bustle of buying all these things and places to be and people to see that we forget that it's about Jesus. Gathering together and introducing people to him. So let me encourage you, your neighbors, coworkers, invite them to your house. Turn your home into a wartime station that pushes back against lostness by being hospitable and inviting people in and telling them about Jesus. When you see people here on Sunday morning and saying, hey, are you in a small group? Come join my small group. Come be with us. Listen, we should be the most inclusive people in the world because God has included us in the gospel. God has said, come in, you are welcome. So too are we to be at Christmas time. It's a reminder in which we say we are going to be a going church. In fact, coming up in a couple of weeks on December 15th and 16th, that Friday and Saturday, we're going to be having something here at the church. It's called Doug's First Christmas. It's a drama, it's a skit, it's going to be fun and funny. Okay, you don't want to miss that. We're going to have a great time together. But we're going to have a great time also around the gospel. Because this is an opportunity for people to come and hear the good news of Jesus. And so invite friends, invite family and co-workers. We want to create an invitation culture here at Westwood where people are always included. And we're continually going and seeking to reach more people with the gospel. You see, Abraham obeyed God's command to go. Jesus obeyed the Father's command to go. Well, Christmas is God's reminder to us to go. So let's posture our hearts towards obedience to that command. The second mark of what Christmas looks like for us moving forward is we are to remember God always keeps his promises. Look at verse two. The Lord says, I will make you into a great nation. 
I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing in you. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. Five times the Lord uses this phrase, I will. Right here in these first three verses, we see God taking the initiative. He is taking action to fulfill his plan. Now, God could have snapped his fingers at the end of Genesis 3 and just fixed the problem of Adam and Eve. He could have done that. But instead, God is playing the long game. He magnifies his glory by putting his character on display as one who is faithful throughout the ages. And as we see here in the text, he is the one who keeps his covenant. In verse 2, we see him making promises to Abram. He promises Abram land, verse 1, people and nation, verse 2, and blessing, verses 2 and 3. And yet chapter 12 is not the only time that God makes promises to Abram. We see in Genesis 13, verse 16, the Lord said to Abram, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. In Genesis 15, and it says, And the Lord brought Abram outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. In Genesis 18, Abraham is to become a great and powerful nation, says the Lord, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. You see, God promised Abram that he would multiply his offspring and that the number in his family would be too great to count. And yet there's a problem. Abram and Sarai didn't have any kids. In fact, look at chapter 11, verse 30. It says, now Sarai was barren. She had no child. So how can Abram become a dad and Sarai become a mom when they have already, verse 4, qualified for AARP? You see, at this point, Abram is 75. Sarai is 65. They're more focused on shuffleboard than changing diapers, okay? Like, this is nowhere on their radar. They are beyond the years of having kids. But remember, God always keeps his promises. Every single time. Unfortunately, Abram and Sarai didn't believe that God was going to keep his promise. Because after 10 years of seeing only one line on the pregnancy test, they come up with a plan. So instead of waiting on God and him fulfilling his promise, Sarai, in Genesis 16, sets her husband Abram up with her servant, Hagar. The plan works. Hagar gets pregnant, and boom, the heir is now born. But there's a problem. This was Hagar's baby. This was a slave girl's baby. The promise should be fulfilled in Sarai. So now the plan falls apart and God has to renege on his promise, right? Wrong. Don't miss this. God is able to turn the disobedience of his children around to fulfill his greater purposes. You see it all throughout the scriptures in which God is faithful to even take the sinful choices and decisions of his people and to turn it around for the good of his people and the glory of his name. 
Whatever you're bringing here this morning, whatever's in your past, whatever sin or mistake or burden that you carry, I want you to know that God is able to turn it around for your good and for his glory. We see it here in the life of Abram and Sarai. We see it all throughout the scriptures that God is able to turn all things around to fulfill his greater purposes. So what's the answer for Abram? Well, remember, God always keeps his promises. So 14 years later, 14 years later, at the age of 90, Sarai, who's been renamed Sarah, and Abram, who's renamed Abraham, gives birth to Isaac. God kept his promise. The Lord provided Abraham with a son. And after Isaac, then comes Jacob. Jacob then has 12 sons. Of those 12 sons, that's where we get the 12 tribes of Israel. And at the end of Genesis, in chapter 50, when, it, when the book closes, we find all, all 12, here we go, all 12 sons in Egypt living there, about 70 of them. But then you turn the page to Exodus chapter 1, and what do you see? You see 400 years later, millions of Jews. God fulfilled his promise. What began with Abraham and Sarah turned into a mighty nation. God is able to do far more than you can ever ask or imagine. He keeps his promises every time. And God told Abram, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to multiply you, and all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed through you. You see, God always keeps his word. He never breaks a promise. He is faithful and he is trustworthy. And yet, notice verse 3. The Lord promises, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You see, God has a plan to bless not just the Jews, not just Israel, but every people group. Every nation on planet earth is going to be blessed. Well, what blessing is God talking about? Well, this blessing is not a what. This blessing is a who. You see, the blessing of Abraham is someone who is greater than Isaac, someone who's greater than Jacob, someone who's greater than the 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus Christ is the true Israel that God was pointing forward to. Jesus is the blessing that God promised to Abraham. Let me show you. Grab your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. I want you to see what this looks like. This is the, the, the bridge gospel, the gospel of Matthew. He first gospel of the New Testament. He, he bridges the Old Testament to the New. And his whole purpose of writing this gospel is to reach Jews for Jesus. He's pointing to Jesus as the true Messiah, as the one that the entire Old Testament is pointing forward to. And then you get to the genealogy of chapter 1 where he begins by connecting a line. He's connecting dots from Abraham to Jesus. Matthew chapter 1 verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And for the following passage, we see name after name, 
generation after generation where God is faithful. He has a plan in motion. And he is seeking to fulfill his plan ultimately in one. Who is that? Look at verse 16. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Here we see God keeping his promise. He is taking what began with Abraham and making a beeline to Jesus. Ultimately, verse 17, so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. You see, God's promise of blessing to Abraham is realized in Jesus Christ. The blessing that God had promised in Genesis 12 came true in Jesus So when Jesus came forth from Mary's womb, this was no ordinary birth. What's happening here is the blessing that was planned from before time began to bring man back into a right relationship with God was taking place. And he made a way, not only through his birth on Christmas morning, but through his death on Calvary's cross. You see, Christ redeemed us through the cross so that, Galatians 3.14, in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. This is the good news of great joy that will be for all people that the angels were singing to the shepherds out in the field. That there is something significant happening in Bethlehem. And it is the blessing of Abraham being realized through a little baby born in a manger wrapped in swaddling cloths. This is a significant child. It's the Christ child. The one who would come to die for the sins of the world. So Kenneth. What does this mean for us this Christmas moving forward? Well, let me remind you of three truths. The first is this. Christmas reminder number one, you have a big family. The Lord said to Abram in Genesis 22, I will surely bless you. And I will surely, watch this, multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. You see, God promised Abraham, your descendants from all nations, they're going to outnumber stars in the sky. You can just start counting and you're going to be like, okay, there's too many of them. You can go to the seashore and see all these little grains of sand. And I just want you to know, in your offspring, it's going to be too many to count. You can't do it. It's too significant. You see, in Christ, you are one of Abraham's offspring, which means you are one of those stars. In Christ, you are one of those grains of sand that cannot be counted. You are a part of a big family. The apostle John said it like this in Revelation 7. He says, after this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. You see, you and I are a part of a family that is so numerous, and there can't be any type of numbering system to keep count other than God. We are a part of a big family, and can I add, we are a part of a diverse family. 
We see here in Revelation 7, it goes on to say, and this number that's too big that no one could count, where are they from? Every nation, tribe, people, and language. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb. You may be alone this Christmas, but I want you to know you are a part of a big family. And even though you may feel lonely, you are never alone. The Lord is with you. But I also want you to lift up the gaze of your eyes and be reminded you have a family that is so big, the Lord says, Abraham, you can't count that eye. You have family, and it's big. But the second thing I want you to remember this Christmas time is this, is that you have a faithful God. You may feel lonely, but you're never alone at Christmas time. God keeps his promise. The God who was faithful to Abraham, the God who was faithful to Isaac, the God who was faithful to Jacob, the God who was faithful to Moses, the God who was faithful to David, the God who was faithful to Daniel, the God who was faithful to Jesus will be faithful to you. He will not forget you. He knows your name, he knows your life, and every hair on your head. He loves you so much, and he is faithful to you to the end. He keeps his promises, not according to your behavior, not because you feel like you're having a good day. He's faithful not because you can keep your New Year's resolutions. He is faithful because of who he is. He is faithful, he is trustworthy, and you can bank your life upon him. So that when 2 Timothy 2.13, even if we are faithless, he remains faithful. You can trust him. He will never lie to you. He will never divorce you. And he will have your back no matter what. God is faithful. Third, I want to remind you, that you have a purpose for life. May I say to you today that there are stars who aren't stars yet. There are grains of sand that aren't sand yet. There are people in your life who don't know Jesus yet. And so now the Lord has left you and I here on earth with a purpose, and that is evangelism. We are evangelists. This Christmas is opportunities that God brings to you and I to engage family and friends and co-workers and neighbors with the gospel. And there are going to be people, Lord willing, that you will lead to faith in Jesus who are stars, who are grains of sand. They just don't know it yet. You see, those who put their faith in Jesus, they become sons of Abraham. And right now, you and I have people in our lives who don't know Christ yet. And so now this Christmas is our, where we get to fulfill our purpose of making much of Jesus, pointing to Jesus, celebrating who he is. You see, you have purpose for your life, and it is to know Jesus and to make Jesus known. This Christmas is your opportunity to say, Lord, I want to make this Christmas count by pointing to Jesus. You may not be promised another Christmas on this earth. So redeem it. Use this as an opportunity to win people to Jesus. 
You see, this Christmas, before you can go forward, you have to look backward. You must stand by the roads and look. You must ask about the ancient paths. You see, there was a path that began 4,000 years ago with an old man. And that path was winding throughout history all the way to Bethlehem. And that path works itself all the way up to Calvary and ultimately to an empty tomb outside of Jerusalem. Christmas is about pointing you and I and the world to something new that has come out of the old. And his name is Jesus. So believe, trust, and follow him. Thank you.